is July 4th, uh, also known as Independence Day. Uh, it was a federal holiday instituted in 1941 in the United States based on the events of July 2nd, 1776, when the Continental Congress voted in favor of independence. And two days later, delegates from the 13 colonies adopted a document called the Declaration of Independence or a Declaration of Freedom. And from 1776 to the present day, July 4th has been celebrated as the birth of American independence, a day marked by freedom. And we celebrate the 4th of July with festivities ranging from fireworks, parades, uh, a grill that's going to be cooking outside uh, this morning. Um, And by the way, they said that they need some more time to cook this morning, so take as long as I need. So y'all are stuck here for a little while. But it's this idea that we talk about freedom, independence. And today we're going to look at this idea of freedom and independence from God's perspective. And looking at the passage that Paul wrote to the church at Galatia in chapter 5, verses 13 through 26. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. But the title of the message this morning is simply, For Freedom. And before we go any further this morning, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for a time and a place where we can gather to bow our heads before you and just simply say thank you. As the song said, for your faithfulness and for your goodness throughout all our days. God, I thank you for Kelsey and for her work here at Grace and for her ministry how she's ministered to so many people over the years. Thank you for this morning where we can come and hopefully, as we lay our hearts and minds before you, get an understanding, a deeper understanding of what it means to be free. Not necessarily from our perspective, but more importantly from your perspective and what it took to make us free. Would you take a minute and pray for the person in front of you or behind you or beside you that they would hear from the Lord this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to look at uh, two verses, 13 through 15, and we'll stop there. First thing I want to look at is a call to freedom Paul says this in verse 13 of chapter 5 of Galatians, For you were called to freedom, brethren, not only do not turn, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you're not consumed by one another. I want to start out with this question, a question I've been asking myself and I asked others. Think about this. What is freedom? What does it mean to be free? And what does it really look like to live in freedom? It seems like there are all types of freedoms we hear about. Kids, you have a desire to be free from your parents. But let me let you in on a little secret. Your parents have a desire (laughs) to be free from you sometimes. 
But then you hear things like financial freedom or health or medical freedom, relationship freedom. I just want to be free from this person. And then in our country right now, you cannot help but hear things about political or government freedom. Lots of people referring to lots of ideas about freedom. It's our culture today. But the freedom in our culture seems to have a self-serving element to it. Tim Keller, in a talk he did in 2015, said this, that freedom is the baseline narrative of our Western culture. Meaning that freedom has always been important to us. But now it is like the ultimate important thing, the only moral imperative we have left, and it's an absolute value. Freedom. And if you pay attention, you hear people talk in this kind of language with this mentality, this, this theme of freedom, if you just listen. It reminds me of the popular Disney song. I'm not going to sing it. But if you have kids, I'm sure you've heard it. Elsa sings it. From the song Frozen. Second verse. It's time to see what I can do. To test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Let it go, let it go. <laughs> but, but isn't that the mindset of our culture today? No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. It's the baseline narrative of our Western culture. And Tim Keller goes on to say in his talk that if... Freedom is characterized by that in the Western culture that it seems like Christianity is the enemy or the antithesis of that type of freedom. Being born again says this, that we are dependent on someone else. That we have surrendered to someone else that we become dependent on someone greater than ourselves. And in following and surrendering Jesus, it appears that it is a radical challenge to our freedom. And it is. So the question we have to ask, the question Tim Keller posed was this, is a relationship with Jesus a radical challenge to our freedom or not? Can we follow Jesus and still be free? The cultural narrative is, this is my life. I make my own decisions. No one can tell me what to do. I am free to live how I want to live. That's kind of our understanding in our culture of freedom. And the answer to that is partly yes. You can. It's temporarily true. You do live in a country where those things are factual. But in the end, it's ultimately false. Things and people other than Jesus can lead to bondage, not freedom. 
In our culture, the dominant definition of freedom is the absence of all constraints, no restraints, self-assertion. I do what I can do, and I do what I want to do without any hindrances. I asked somebody the other day, what does freedom mean? And they simply said, without hesitation, I get to do what I want to do. Doing whatever I want, when I want, having it my way. But that is really a false sense of what freedom really is, and it's really an unworkable definition of what freedom is. In fact, it's an impossibility. I like this definition of freedom. Real freedom comes from a strategic loss of some freedoms to gain the ultimate freedom. Here's an example of that. You have said, maybe, or I know you may have heard, I want to be financially free. And we have within us the means to purchase whatever we want, whether with cash or with credit. And so we have to decide, am I going to give up that freedom of purchasing in order to have ultimate financial freedom? And that's how it is with Jesus. Genuine freedom has to do with surrender and obedience and intentionality to give up some freedoms to gain the ultimate freedom. We strategically, as believers, intentionally and submissively give up some freedoms to gain the ultimate freedom that our depth of our soul that is really what it's longing for, not the temporary freedoms. That's how God created us to be, free in him and no other. That's what Paul's talking about in these verses. Listen to Galatians 5.13 from the message. It is absolutely clear that God has called you to a free life. Just make sure that you don't use this freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want to do and destroy your freedom. The first thing we see in this passage of Galatians from Paul is this call, this call to the Galatian believers. This word call has a couple of different uh, aspects to consider. It is a rare thing, especially in the New Testament, to hear the word call and it be kind of a standalone word. Like, I'm going to call you over here. Usually in the, in the scripture that there is a, a, an intentionality to the call. As a kid, I don't know if you, you had this, but as a kid I would be outside playing and my mom would call us to dinner. Anybody ever experienced that? That meant I had to make a decision, right? To stop playing and go to dinner. It was a call. I had to stop one task and go to another. That's part of what Paul's talking about. With a given task in mind, Paul is calling us in the Galatians to freedom. Away from bondage of sin and other freedoms to his ultimate freedom. That's one sense of the word. To stop one line of reasoning, thought, pursuit, and submitting to another call. But there's another sense of the word. You know, if my sisters called me to dinner, probably keep playing. But it was the one who was calling that made the difference. And what does Paul say? It is God who has called you to freedom. So built within this word is not only intentionality to stop one thing and go to another thing, it is because of the one who's calling. 
which is God. And God is calling each of us to freedom. The God of the universe is calling you and I to experience freedom. Now, it's important to know that Paul did not think of himself as the one calling. He made it very clear that God is the one doing the calling. That we are called to be free by God who's affirmed us and loved us and chosen us before we loved and chose and accepted him. And you were called for a purpose, Paul says, to be free. In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit was the life giver in the conception, the conception of Jesus. The Holy Spirit gave a resurrection life to Jesus. The Holy Spirit brings new life according to John 3. And the Holy Spirit enables us to be free from living in bondage of sin. We are called to freedom by Christ and for Christ. And what's the result of this freedom? It leads us to be freely loved unconditionally and to freely love others unconditionally. Verse 13, And love serve one another for the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. When I think about freedom and love in our culture, a song comes to my mind. It was released in April 15, 1965. Some of you know it. I only know like nine words of the song. But it was made popular, hit number seven on the charts in July, made popular by Jackie DeShannon. Do you know it? I'll say the first five words and then you'll say the last four, I bet. What the world needs now. Isn't that true? Isn't that really deep down what the world needs? Love, the sweet love of Jesus that we sing about. That's why we're set free. Not for me, but for him and them. That's why we're set free, to love our neighbor as ourself. God is calling us believers, the God of the universe, to be free, not for self-serving freedom, but a freedom that is submissive and obedient to a higher way of living, a life in the Spirit. That's what it means to be free. But Paul makes it clear that as we're called out to live that lifestyle as believers, we're going to have conflict. And that's what he addresses next, the flesh or free conflict. Verse 16 says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. Paul sets a principle here, kind of this umbrella principle, and that is this. We cannot have two operating systems in our life. We either are governed by the flesh, or we are governed by the Spirit. Bondage or free. As believers, you and I have experienced wanting to live and walk in the freedom of the Spirit, but we know that there's hindrances, right? Can anybody relate to having that conflict? Remember what Paul said in Romans 7? 
doing what I don't want to do. I don't do what I want to do. Anybody ever gone there? That's what we talk about when we talk about the flesh. The flesh in Scripture in the New Testament is not skin and bones. The flesh, the basic understanding is this. The flesh is the coping mechanism for life apart from God. Let me say that again. The flesh in Scripture is the coping mechanism we use for life apart from God. It's the coping mechanism for trying to figure out, to navigate, to succeed, to protect and promote ourselves and life in the absence of God. In fact, Paul says the flesh is diabolically opposed to the spirit. They're not friends and they don't get along. Remember what Jesus says when he's praying? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is what? Weak. Now, he could have been talking about his body and the tiredness of the disciples. But he's also talking about, in context, the spirit is willing, but the flesh, our coping mechanisms, are weak. Here's how one scholar put it. This passage is defining flesh as those parts of ourselves and the systems that are created by us and exist in us in rebellion to God. So when we live in the flesh, Scripture says that we are living as unbelievers, as unsaved people. And what may feel like freedom is actually slavery, bondage. How does Paul describe the sinful nature? Look at verses 19 through 21. Now the deeds of this coping mechanism, this coping mechanism apart from God, the flesh, are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Paul says that there's an operating system that is seeking to give us life apart from God, but these are the end results. Paul uses four categories of the flesh and bondage. Indulgences, sexuality, religion, and relationships. I just want to unpack these just for a second. Indulgences, this unbridled desire. The flesh is marked by unbridled desire. Whatever I want, whenever I want it, whatever is best for me, that's what I'm going to pursue. Whatever goes, whatever's in front of me. Is this the culture we live in? Unbridled desires, the idea of just getting away with whatever you want to get away with. And the means doesn't have to justify the ends. Paul also uses sexuality, sexual thoughts or activity outside of God's plan. The Greek word here is pornea, where we get the word pornography. But there's another deep word that pornography or pornea talks about. It's any sexual idea or thoughts or actions outside of God's plan. And then there's this word sensuality, this lack of restraint. And he uses this word impurity. This word impurity is a graphic picture word for Paul. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, all had this idea and picture of an infected, oozing wound. 
And so whenever you thought about it, that was the picture that Paul wanted you to think of as disgusting. Paul mentions two other categories. I think they're important. The first one is he makes reference to religion by talking about idolatry. Religion is this, looking for someone or something other than God to do what only God can do. People are putting their trust in science. Their people are putting their trust in politicians and economics and themselves. Or they've lost confidence in all those things. And they're just simply lost without hope. And it is the flesh that says something other than God will get me through this or something other than God is what I need most. That's idolatry. And God is calling people away from this mindset to freedom in Him. One commentator said this about an idol. An idol can be anything we placed ahead of God in our lives, anything that takes God's place in our hearts, that consumes our attention and devotion. It is anything we seek to satisfy and solve the longings of our heart besides God. Religion is thinking that we can manipulate God to respond to what we want Him to do. Paul mentions another thing that's fascinating about the flesh, a coping mechanism, it's relationships, how we treat each other. Out of the 15 things that Paul says, eight of them are how we deal with other people. Enmities or hostilities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying. And here's why I think this is so important for us to recognize. Because as believers, you and I, Grace Community Church, as believers, we have a chance to model the best of the church in human relationships. how we respond to other people, how we treat other people. We all agreed that the world, the culture, is treating people with all the other things. And the church is called to treat people different. Our culture right now, it doesn't take very long to notice that we are divided. That there is a lot of division, a lot of anger... We see it in politics. Democrats blaming Republicans. Republicans blaming Democrats. People are angry at government. People are angry about employment. About how there's not enough people working. Inflation. Have you heard any comments about gas prices? (laughs) Division has led to so much anger that's deep inside of us. And some of the things I've seen and heard in the church about the hope and joy and peace have been replaced with arrogance, irritation, and resentment. And we have a different response. There's a lot of things that you would call, like Paul, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, faction, enmity. It's all around us. So we have to be careful that it doesn't get in us and come out of us. Because we're free. Jesus has set us free by His Spirit who dwells inside of us. Paul warns, if you bite and devour each other, watch out. 
you will destroy one another. So it is an incredible opportunity for the church, for the people of God, to show the relational capabilities of a life free and governed by the Spirit of God. Everyone is seeing the relational capabilities of the flesh. What about the relational capabilities of the Spirit? So I want to urge you, Grace, and those watching and worshiping with us online, to pay attention what's going on inside you and what's coming out of you. Is it a spirit of freedom or a spirit of the flesh? We must be people who stop relying on human instincts and responses to one another and let the Holy Spirit shape us into a more Jesus response one that is attractive, an attractive community for love for one another. You may be saying, but Matthew, I have a right. I have a right to feel and think and say what I want to say. I live in America. There's no restraints, no hindrances. Romans 13, 14. Make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lusts and what it wants. There was a phrase several years ago among the youth that said this, check yourself before you wreck yourself. I think that's a word to the church. It's a time of evaluation for sure. Maybe get with somebody this week. And ask yourself this question and talk it through. What are those things that trigger the flesh in me? Who are those people? Who are you criticizing unfairly? Who have you judged in your own heart? Listen to what Paul says in Romans 8, 5 through 8. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things in the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God. For it is not even able to do so, for those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Powerful scriptures. Remember this. Where the Lord is, that is where freedom is found. So whatever is triggering the flesh response in you, Paul says get rid of it and replace it with the freedom of Jesus and live free. And that's what he finishes up with in chapter 5, verses 25 and 26. Freedom in the Spirit. He says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. For those of you who have been around church and the gospel message for a long time, you know this to be true. That the Spirit of God is what the Christian receives at their conversion. When they came to know Christ, the Holy Spirit captivates their heart and, and resides inside of them. Ephesians 2 says, It was a gift of God so that nobody can boast. In other words, you didn't earn it. It was a gift that God gave us. The Spirit of God, Scripture talks about converting us from from the object of his wrath to the affection as children and sons and daughters. 
that we may be victorious, as we sang about the first song, over the flesh, through Christ, to live by the Spirit. And for this to continue to occur in our daily life, there needs to be a daily submission to the Spirit. One author said it this way, For Paul and for us, life in the Spirit begins at conversion with the gift of the Spirit, continues as it is sustained by that same Spirit, and waits for the final establishment of God's kingdom in the Spirit. Therefore, it is all in the Spirit. And so it's a commitment on our part to the Lord to walk and live in the Spirit. What does that mean? What does that look like? to live free in the Spirit. To walk in the Spirit is to create an environment that the Spirit loves to dwell. It is to create a lifestyle of habits, practices, rituals, and rhythms where the invitation is always open, Lord Jesus, come. Are there areas of your life where it will be hard to invite Jesus? Scripture talks about the Spirit residing and creating a, a dwelling place that the Spirit would enjoy dwelling. That we are the temple, the house of the Holy Spirit. Now, if your house is anything like mine, you may have a closet or two, a garage, a certain place that's not quite as clean, tidy, a place that you probably, when somebody came over and said, hey, look at this closet. But that's what Jesus is talking about. That he wants to see every nook and cranny of our lives come under submission to the lordship of Jesus. Because it's only then that we can say we're truly free without something holding us back. This, this unclean area that we haven't surrendered to the Lord. Because that will keep us in bondage and hold us back. And here's what I've connected to this in my own life. If there is a hesitancy in me to let Jesus or other believers into certain areas of my life, then I'm pretty sure it's a good indication that that area is not a product of the Spirit. Jesus' presence even in those areas of our life that may be embarrassing or cluttered or dirty. Jesus' presence in there, he offers freedom. I love how Paul points this out. He says, the works of the flesh, but it's the fruit of the Spirit. The works are the things we do, but the fruit is something the Spirit does in and through us and with us. And as Jesus' presence and His Spirit and His offer of freedom comes into our lives, into our practices, in our habits, in our conversations, in our language, in our thought process, every area of our life, we realize that there will be fruit of the Spirit from those areas. And what will we experience? What will the world experience? Verses 22 and 23. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, 
and self-control. Against such things there is no law. These are not things that we manufacture. We can't sit down and go, I'm going to be joyful today. I'm really going to be patient. You know how that works. This is something the Spirit does in and through us as we surrender and to submit to His freedom. Not our freedom. And just think about, just think about what the world would see if they looked around and saw the church letting the Spirit of God produce in them and through them and to the world Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what our world, our culture, I'm convinced, is longing for. To be a community of hope. We can only get there if we surrender to the freedom found in Jesus. So I want to ask you a few questions as we close. God has called each of you here to freedom in the Spirit. What will your response be? Remember who the one is that is calling. Will you and I continue to try to control and cope with life on our own, or will we be free from ourselves and find our freedom in Jesus? Remember, real freedom comes from a strategic loss of some freedoms so that we can gain the ultimate freedom. Can I just ask for you to think about this in your mind? Why would you say no? What could possibly be your answer in saying no? Second question is this. What are those things that trigger the flesh in you and keep you from experiencing freedom with the Spirit of God? Paul gave four categories. Indulgences, sexuality, religion, relationships which of these use are you using maybe to as a coping mechanism or even a justification you know what's really obvious to me about me and maybe you can identify with this too is that I can become a really really good defense lawyer about my behavior about my actions about what I think how I respond I can defend it until Jesus shows up (laughs) make no provision for the flesh no other way to live except by the spirit of Jesus and finally this question will you give the spirit of Jesus full access to every area of your life every area I'm convinced that there are things in your mind, in your heart, that maybe have popped up and said, I don't know if I can go there. I can't give him that. He says, give it to me. Be free. Be free. How did Jesus offer this freedom to us? At the cross. That's what it cost us to be free. Seth and the team and the guys are going to come this morning and take of communion. 
They're going to play some music while we hold the elements. And I want to encourage you, if the Lord's spoken to you this morning or you need to talk with someone right now or to pray with or to share your grief or to talk through these areas of the flesh, to talk more about what it looks like to walk in freedom of Christ. If you say to me, Matthew, I've never trusted Christ as my Savior. I don't have a clue what you're talking about being free. I have continued my whole life to use my own coping mechanisms. I want to know more what it means to surrender all those good freedoms for the ultimate freedom found in Jesus. Then see us afterwards. As the guys are here this morning, I want to remind us why we take communion and how we'll do it this Sunday. Communion 